Well, if you've, if you've ever played a team sport, so I grew up playing team sports. Baseball was, was the game for me. But there are plenty of other team sports. If you've ever played a team sport, then you recognize that at the beginning of the season is a pivotal time for the success of your team. So preseason or the, right, right at the beginning when the team comes together because you quickly learn at least two things. You recognize what your priorities are as a board of the team. So what position are you going to play? When it practices? When, when's the schedule? You quickly realize what, what the priorities are for you. Then you also find out who your teammates are, who your partners are. So to summarize it, you find out what your priorities are and who your partners are in accomplishing this task of trying to have a winning season. Now, understanding those two things are critical for the success of, of any team activity, be it a sport or an organization. If you're working with others, recognizing what your priorities are and who those are that you're working with are going to be pivotal to accomplishing the task that you are trying to accomplish. You might be thinking, I don't play team sports, Rob. Not an athlete. However, again, whether it's a sport, whether it's an organization, understanding your priorities, understanding your partners is pivotal. And, and friends, just as a Christian, if you are a Christian in the room today, then you are on a team. You were not adopted into the body of Christ to be a single member off in the corner. You were adopted as a member of the body of Christ, and you are attached to other members of the body of Christ. So if you're a Christian, you're on a team. with everything going on around us, followers of Christ, Christians, we often need reminded that faithful ministry requires us to remember our priorities and our partners in the gospel. That's the main thrust of what Paul is getting at here as he closes out this book of Colossians. He wants them to remember their priorities and their partners in the gospel. So this is the, the end of Paul's letter to the Colossians. We've come to the, to the conclusion of it. Now, this book was written by the Apostle Paul. It was written around 62 AD. And here's a little background about the Apostle Paul that's just going to be helpful for you. Is that this man was previously committed. He, I mean, he devoted his entire life to persecuting Christians, to arresting them, to killing them, to imprisoning them. However, as we read in Acts, he was miraculously converted by God on his way to Damascus. He was on his way to persecute more Christians. He had received authority to do that, so he's on his way to do the very thing that he had devoted his life to, and he's converted. And now, instead of devoting his life to persecuting Christians, he's now devoted his life to furthering the gospel. It's an incredible work that God did in this man. And now, he's writing this letter to the Colossians, from prison. So he previously was imprisoning Christians because of their desire to further the gospel, and now God converts him, and now he is going to try to further the gospel and everything he does, and he himself gets imprisoned for that very thing. Comes full circle for Paul. But in the first two chapters of this book, this book of Colossians, again, typical Paul writing style is that he spends the first half of it laying the theological groundwork. He's trying to help them understand that Jesus Christ is the fullness of God 
and he is sufficient for understanding God, and he's sufficient for understanding. So the way we've, we've been uh, summarizing it is that the theme of this book is understanding the, the fullness and sufficiency of Christ. The fullness and sufficiency of Christ. And then in the last two chapters of this book, chapters 3 and 4, the second half, we see the kind of the practical outworkings. Of, okay, now this theological thing is understood. Now, rather than just gaining head knowledge, if you truly understand it, you need to now live it out, Christians. And so he helps them understand what it looks like to live the fullness and sufficiency of Christ, to live that out in their lives. Now, again, it was written around 60 to 62 AD, about 30 years or so, um, just shy of 30 years of Christ's uh, completed ministry. And what's going on right now in Colossae is there's this, this teaching called the Colossian heresy. And essentially what that is was syncretism. And so they take all the other ideas, the philosophies of men, the Jewish ceremonialism, angel worship, this idea of asceticism. They take all these other things and say, yeah, those things help you understand who God is. So yeah, take Christ and then add in these other things so you can get a full understanding of who Jesus is. And again, Paul is writing to them saying, you don't need all those other things because Jesus Christ is himself sufficient. He is the fullness of God. He is, the, he is sufficient for understanding who God is. And he, friends, he is sufficient to save you from your sin and to reunite you to God. You don't need all these other practices. He wants the Colossian church to understand this. And so, as we look at this text, Colossians chapter 4, and we're looking at verses 2 through 18. As we look at this, I think Paul's broken it down into two sections. And so if you have your, your bulletin there, you'll see two blanks. And in the first uh, six verses of the chapter, so the first five verses that we're looking at, verses 2 through 6, we see Christian priorities. And in the remainder of the chapter, we see Christian partnerships. It's trying to help them understand what their priorities are and who their partners are. So let's read this text, and then we will jump into it. And if you are um, looking for Colossians in your Bibles, you'll find Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It's, toward, it's in your New Testament, toward the end of the Bible. And then um, if you're looking in one of the blue provided Bibles, that's on page 985. Page 985. We're starting in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. This is God's Word. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. 
Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Father, as we look at this text, help us to understand what the Apostle Paul wanted to communicate to the Colossians. What you ultimately wanted to communicate to the Colossians. Help us understand that message and help us faithfully live it out as we go about this week. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So to begin with, we see Christian priorities in verses 2 through 6 there. And so Paul tells them right off the bat in verse 2 to continue steadfastly in prayer. And so he tells them right from the get-go, guys, keep praying. Keep praying. These are the last words of Paul's letter to the Colossians. And so he's trying to summarize what, is it, what, what are your priorities as a people. He says, look, keep praying. Prayers are effective. And so the question that may come up is, is how are they commanded to pray? We're called to pray, but, but how is it that we are to pray? And Paul just lays it out for us here in these, in these three verses. He says, pray steadfastly. That word, steadfastly, just means to be devoted to. So he's saying, be devoted to prayer. Make it one of your top priorities throughout the day. But he says to pray uh, in a way that is watchful. So being watchful could also be translated as alert. So not, not going through the motions as we're all tempted to do, as I find myself doing from time to time, just saying the same phrases over and over again. Paul says, no, be intentional in the way that you pray. Trust that the Lord hears you when you bring something before him. You don't need to repeat it 40 times in the same prayer for him to understand you. You can, you can say it once and you can move on to the next thing. Be intentional with your prayers. I'm not saying don't bring the same prayer request to the Lord several times. It's a good and wonderful thing to do. But trust that the Lord hears you. Be intentional with your prayers. Paul says to be watchful, to be alert. Pray with gratitude. Pray for other believers, other churches, other ministries. See that in verse 3, that God may open to us a door for the word. So Paul is asking the Colossians, to pray for him and the other workers, that God would open up a door for gospel ministries, that there'd be more opportunities to proclaim the gospel, and that those who are proclaiming it would be clear. One of the things that we strive to do here is lay the gospel before you every week. We want to be clear in what God's word says and in what the gospel is. And if anybody ever has any question about what does it look like to embrace the gospel, we pray that they hear what that looks like from the pulpit every week. And if they want more information about it, then please, friends, please feel welcome to ask. We would love to have that conversation 
with you. Christian, when Paul says to pray steadfastly, when he says to pray in a watchful way, when he says to pray with thanksgiving, when he says to pray for more opportunities for the gospel to go out, that those who do proclaim the gospel, yourselves included, that it would be proclaimed clearly, does that reflect your prayers? Are you praying like that? It's easy to get caught up in, in the normal, Lord, give me a good day, help me do well at work, and, and those are good and wonderful things to pray for. But continue to pray that the gospel would go forward in this church, in our community, in the nation, and in the world. We just sang from Father, hear the prayer we offer. Make thy work our ceaseless prayer. Let's believe that. Make Let's pray that God's work, that, that what he's doing in the world would be our ceaseless prayer, that we would continue to pray that the gospel would go forward and that people would be changed by it, that there would be conversions, that there would be disciples, that the gospel would take root in more places. But in addition to praying, Paul calls them to walk. He says to, to walk in wisdom. That, that word walk could also be translated live. So he's saying, hey, don't just keep your spiritual life in your prayer closet. Don't just keep it at your house where you're praying or just the car. He says, live this out. Walk in it. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Richard Mielek, commenting on this, points out that at the beginning of the epistle, at the beginning of this letter of Colossians, Paul prayed for the Colossians to know wisdom. See that in chapter 1, verse 9. Now here, he prays for them to live it to live it out. So he wants them to know wisdom. He says that at the beginning of the, of the letter, and then he ex- helps them ex- understand what is wise living, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the, the fullness and the sufficiency of God. Now, in light of that, live it out. He wants them not only to know it, but also to live out wisdom. And friends, our, our conduct around non-Christians matters. We see that there, right there in what Paul's saying in, in verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Now, if you think about it, it makes sense that Paul be bringing this up. Because he had just told the Colossian church to reject a lot of the things that were being taught in Colossae. So in their culture, their cultural context, he tells them, hey, you need to reject some of the teachings that are going on. That all the people around you seem to be proclaiming and embracing. You need to reject a lot of those. And he recognizes that that's not going to be popular when the, the church in Colossae begins to reject some of the beloved teachings of those that are in Colossae. And so he says, hey, look, you're probably going to experience some persecution. You're probably going to experience some people who aren't real thrilled with the things that you are now teaching. However, walk in wisdom among them. Use wisdom. And friends, our message, the same message that Paul was trying to get across to the Colossians, that Christ alone is sufficient for salvation. That Christ alone is how we know who God is. That Christ alone is how our sins are removed. Because he went to the cross, died on the cross in our place, took on the wrath of God for us, and then he freely imputes his righteousness, his goodness, his holiness to all those who repent and believe in him. That message, that the removal of sin and the righteousness that we need to be right with God is only found in Christ Jesus. That message wasn't popular in Colossae, and it's not going to be popular today either. 
And so Paul says, use wisdom in the way that you interact with outsiders. Use wisdom in the way that you talk about this with non-Christians. Friends, we need to hear that even today. Let's use wisdom as we proclaim this good news to those around us. How do you get wisdom? Well, here's the cool thing. Is that we have a father who loves to generously and freely give wisdom to those who ask. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Look, God loves to hand out wisdom to his children. Like a father loves to give treats to his kids, God loves to give out wisdom to his children. Ask him for it. But then Paul says, make the best use of the time. And so whether God grants you 10, 30, 70, or 100 years, no matter how much time God grants you, our, our time here on this earth in this life is limited. So friends, use it well. Disciple others. Be invested in the spiritual well-being of those around you. If you're a member here at this church, then the other members are a priority for you to ensure that they are living in light of the gospel. The people that God has placed around you, member or non-member, are also a priority for you. God has uniquely placed you where he's placed you so that the gospel can go forward through you. Share the gospel. Join a church, whether that's this church or another church. Be committed to a body, a local body of Christ. Open your schedule. Be consistent. It's easy to be flaky in the society that we live in. To go, when, to, go to church or to invest in discipleship only when it's convenient for you. Be consistent in the lives of others for the sake of them understanding who Christ is better. And invest in the ordinary very rewarding work of gospel ministry. Paul wants them to make the best use of the time. We too are called to make the best use of the time that God has given us. And so let's live in such a way that Christ, that Christ looks magnificent, that he looks incredible, even to non-Christians. And look, there will certainly be those who despise us for that, who despise that message Let's, let's live wisely, even among them. John Chrysostom put it this way. He said, in matters where outsiders are not harming you, don't give them an opportunity. If you are going to experience conflict with the outside world, let the conflict have its origin in your message and not in any other source. So living wisely among outsiders requires us still to proclaim the gospel. It doesn't mean, oh, I'm not going to share the gospel now to, to preserve myself. It means share the gospel. And if they have any problem with you, let it be because of your message. So when it comes to our message, it should also be conveyed in a gracious way. And Paul transitions right into that in verse 6. We're called to speak. Verse 6, let your speech always be gracious. Seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so look, Christians are called in verse 4 to prayer. It's one of our priorities. We are called to pray. And he shares with us how it is that we are to pray. And then in verse 5, Paul tells them that 
We're, we're called to live wisely among outsiders. And now in verse 6, he says, speak graciously to all. So we're called to pray, we're called to live, and we're called to speak. And that, that speech is, is to be gracious, seasoned with salt. So in the ancient world, salt was used on food for two primary purposes. First one is to add flavor, kind of like how we use it today. The second one was to preserve. It was a preservative. They didn't have freezers or refrigerators to keep food for longer periods of time. So salt was the way uh, that they preserved food. And, and in Matthew 5, we as Christians are actually called the salt of the earth. And so it would make sense that we as, as the salt of the earth, that our speech should be seasoned with salt, should be salty. And so our speech, just like salt, should be doing at least two things. And the first one is by adding the gospel flavor to our conversations. It's always a shame when somebody proclaiming the good news, proclaiming the incredible news that our sins can be washed away, that through Christ our sins are taken away, that we can be restored to God, that that incredible news is just proclaimed in a way that's like, that's eh, okay news. It's a shame when the great news of the gospel is proclaimed in a way where it just seems like okay news. Friends, we're all headed to judgment. Every one of us. And as sinners, we deserve God's holy wrath against sin. That is a reality for every one of us. However, because of his immeasurable love toward us, he sent his son to bear that wrath on our behalf so that we never have to experience it. And if we repent and believe, if we turn from our sin and call on Christ, we trust in Christ, then you will never have to endure God's holy wrath because Christ did it on your behalf. Friends, that is incredible news. May the gospel news, may that, may that gospel flavor be infused into all of our conversations. That's how our, our speech is seasoned with salt, with the good news of the gospel. But not only should our speech add good news to our conversations, but it should also preserve the truths about the gospel. So just as salt added flavor and preserves, so also our speech being seasoned with salt should add the, the great flavor of the gospel to our conversations, but it should also preserve the truth of the gospel. And so it seems like an, an obvious thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. To preserve truth, we have to know truth. And so be committed to spending time in Bible reading. Remind yourself of the gospel. Help one another understand the truths of the gospel. Nobody in this room is omniscient. None of us know all things. We need one another to help us understand what God's word says. And as we better understand it, then we can better preserve it. We need one another for it. Look, as Christians, we're called to orient our prayers, to orient our living, and to orient our speech around the gospel, around the good news that every one of our sins, past, present, and future, can be removed by Christ and replaced with his righteousness if you would only call on him. And so, Christian, who's one person that you can share the gospel with this week? Think of one person that you're going to bump into this week who is far from Christ, who has not received this message that you can share the good news of the gospel with. 
Don't put the kind of pressure on yourself to where they, they must be converted in that conversation or else you failed. That's not it. But sow seeds. Share the gospel. Sow those seeds. Pray for the Lord to open up that conversation. Pray for the Lord to open up more conversations. As Paul's just telling that the Colossians there that they would pray that there'd be more gospel doors opened up. Pray for that. For others and for yourself. We are called to know what our priorities are as Christians. To pray, to walk faithfully, and to speak the gospel. The second, we're also called to know our Christian partnerships. To know who we do this with. And so Paul, if you, if you look in verse 9, excuse me, verse 7, Paul starts off in verses 7 through 9 by saying that he has sent two brothers to them. So he says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. And so Paul and those with him have sent two brothers, Tychicus and Onesimus. Now, Tychicus has been mentioned throughout the New Testament. He's mentioned in Acts 20 uh, that he aided Paul in his journeys. He took the letter uh, here to the Colossians, and he also took a letter to the Ephesians. Again, Paul wrote Colossians and Ephesians right around the same time while he was in prison. He took this letter to Colossae. So he's aided Paul. He's taken multiple letters to different churches for him. This, this guy, Tychus, he's reliable. And then Onesimus. Onesimus is from Colossae. He was a slave, if you read the book of Philemon. And so he was an escaped slave who went to Rome where Paul was. He heard the gospel. He's a faithful brother. And now Paul is sending him back to Colossae to go back to his master. Both of these guys, Tychicus and Onesimus, we see in verse 7 and in verse 9, are beloved and faithful. So our church has a desire to raise up faithful brothers and sisters, faithful individuals for gospel ministries so that we can send them out into different contexts to take that gospel message where there are people who are in a high a uh, high-density situation where a lot of people are lost, they can take that good news of the gospel to those areas. We want to raise up brothers and sisters here for that purpose. So they would take that good news to dark places that need to hear it. And so, friends, if you are interested in that kind of work, in missions, please, please let us know. We want to come alongside you in that. In fact, the Association of Churches that we are a part of, it, it cooperates together so that missionaries can actually go out fully funded. So you don't have to worry about raising up funds. You can focus on the mission. If you are interested in any of that, please, please let us know. Because look, every Christian should be in one of two categories when it comes to missions. You should either be going or you should be helping those who are going. So if you are interested in going, please let us know. We want to help you in that.
And so we see that we partner, in verses 7 through 9, by sending. Now in verses 10 through 17, we see that we partner by encouraging. So every greeting that Paul lists in these eight verses is another way of, or it's just acknowledging that the Colossians are in fact united to Paul and his, his people there. So they're sending greetings to say, hey, look, we greet you because you're one of us. And so it should be an encouragement for these Colossians to hear these greetings. That Paul has been imprisoned for the gospel, he's had this miraculous work done in his conversion, that as he proclaims the gospel, there's a lot of fruit, and Paul says, you're one of us. We're greeting you. This brother greets you. That brother greets you. Aristarchus greets you. He was in prison with Paul for the sake of the gospel. We see Mark greets him. And what's really fascinating, this is just a side note, not in my notes, but Mark, early on, he abandoned Paul. John Mark, read through Acts, he abandoned Paul when they went on a missionary journey. And so there was a sharp disagreement later on because Paul didn't want John Mark to come with him on another mission, uh, mission endeavor. And now, what we see years later is that Mark is one of his partners in the gospel. And he sends greetings to these Colossians to encourage them. But then Jesus, who is called Justice, now, now we actually know nothing about this guy. This is the only time that he's mentioned in Scripture. Um, but he sends them greetings to encourage them in the gospel. There's Epaphras, who, who likely helped start the Colossian church. And he, like Onesimus, is from Colossae. Now, Paul kind of stops on Epaphras. And he spends a little bit of time talking about him. Because Epaphras, and Paul attests to this, has just, just struggled and fought and strived for the Colossians in his prayers. And Paul's been able to witness that. He sees how much Epaphras loves these Colossians. He was likely the guy who helped start the Colossian church. Uh, but, he, but he prays for them. And he cares deeply about them. And Paul wants them to know that. He wants them to be encouraged by that. Then we see Luke and Demas. They also send greetings. Now, they don't just send greetings for the sake of sending greetings. Right? The, the encouragement that these greetings are to serve the Colossians, it's not meant to terminate with them. If we continue reading, we see that the encouragement and knowledge that they receive is actually meant to help them encourage and build up others. So look at verse 15. So he's now telling the Colossians, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha in the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. So Paul wants the Colossians to use this book, this, this letter that he just wrote them. He says, I want this to be an encouragement to you. I want it to help you know wisdom and live in wisdom. I want to help you understand that Jesus is uh, sufficient to take away all your sin and he is the fullness of God. But I don't want to stop with you, Colossians. I want you to now share this with the Laodiceans. And the information that the Laodiceans have, I want you to be edified by them as well. There's to be a mutual encouragement, ping-ponging back and forth between the, these churches Laodicea and in Colossae. And when he talks about Archippus, so, so we don't have a ton of information about Ar Archippus, 
but commentators believe that he was likely the pastor of the Colossian church. That he probably picked up where Epaphras left off. Epaphras found the church, and then you can see that Epaphras is now imprisoned with Paul. So he's clearly not in Colossae. And so Archippus probably picked up where Epaphras left off. And Paul wants Archippus to fulfill the ministry that he received in the Lord. He wants Archippus to help the Colossians see Christ and see them clearly, see him clearly. And then we see in verse 18, Paul's closing greeting. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And so Paul points out that he is the author of this letter. Now, what was typically the case is that Paul typically dictated what he wanted to be said. And then someone off to the side was writing what he wanted to be said. And then at the end, he would kind of grab the pen and say, hey, this is me, Paul, writing. I write in big letters so that you can know that it is me. And he did that in first, at the end of 1 Corinthians, then the Colossians, Galatians, Philemon, 2 Thessalonians. In fact, at the end of 2 Thessalonians, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. And so he wants them to know that, that this is coming from me. I love you guys. took time to, to write this to you. I care about you. All these other people that are sending you greetings, they care about you. We are partners in the gospel. Continue to walk in faithfulness. Don't embrace this Colossian heresy that's telling you to believe all these other things so you can fully know God. Jesus Christ is sufficient for that. I, Paul, am telling you that. All these people that you know, that love you, that are partners in the gospel, they're telling you that. All the information that you're receiving from us, all the information you receive from our greetings and from the, this letter, help the Laodiceans live the same way. But then he says this, this phrase that's not in any of his other closings. He says, remember my chains. Why? Why remember my chains? Why put that in there? Well, it, it could be for any number of reasons but it's likely because that Colossian heresy, all those teachings, were extremely prevalent in Colossae. And Paul knows that to deny those teachings could lead to persecution and likely imprisonment. So Paul, in his chains, is writing to a group of people to help them reject a teaching that is prevalent in their community and by rejecting that teaching, it may lead them into their own chains. And so Paul says, friends, remember my chains. Paul's experiencing persecution for the gospel. Now, the Colossians, if they receive what Paul wrote and live faithfully in light of it, they may receive persecution later. So Paul, he can suffer well because he knows that there's ultimate victory in Christ. And he wants the Colossians to remember that to remember the way that he is suffering, the way that he is living out these chains, so that they, when that time comes, would also live faithfully. And if you're not a Christian today, when suffering comes for you, be it health, be it relational, when suffering comes for you, I wonder, what is your hope? What is it that keeps, that sustains you, even when your health your family, your friends, your career, when all of those things fail you, what sustains you? If you're a Christian, we know that this world will give us trouble. 
But in Christ, we have overcome the world. And so we can endure suffering. We can endure our health failing us. We can endure family, losing loved ones. We can endure all those things because we know that this world is not going to have the final say. Paul knew that. And so he could endure his imprisonment with hope, holding on to the gospel, that there will be victory in Christ, that all the pain that you feel in this world will not last forever because Christ is coming back for his own and he will make all things right. So look, the gospel goes forward. That good news goes forward more effectively when we know who our partners are, when we partner together in getting that gospel out. The gospel goes forward at a quicker pace when Christians are committed to working together. And so Christian, fight the temptation to resist formal partnership with other Christians and other churches. We do not have the corner on truth. There are other churches that are doing great work. There are missionaries that are doing great work. Other people in this community who are doing wonderful things. And we want to come alongside them for the sake of the gospel going out. Church, let's work to raise up faithful brothers and sisters to then send out, to have gospel goodbyes with, difficult goodbyes, sad goodbyes, but they're going to do worthy gospel work. Let's be willing to to hold on to our people loosely, in a sense, to say, Lord, whoever you send here, they are here for as long as you would have them be here. And if you pick them up and place them somewhere else for the sake of the gospel going forward, we rejoice in that. Praise God. Let's raise up faithful brothers and sisters so that we can send them out for gospel work. Let's find ways to partner and encourage those who are already engaged in that work. Let's pray. Let's visit those who are engaged in that work. Let's come alongside them. Let's encourage them. Let's resource them. Again, all for the sake of the gospel going forward. And so look, if you're a Christian, you are adopted into a family. You are on a team. And understanding what your priorities are to pray, to live, to speak the gospel. And understanding who your partners are others who are doing faithful gospel work and coming alongside them to encourage them, to resource them, to visit them, to help them in that, in that work. That is how the gospel goes out more effectively. Your purpose, Christian, is to glorify God by living the gospel and by furthering the gospel, by remembering what Christ has done for you and by helping others know and remember what Christ has done for them. Faithful ministry requires us to remember our priorities and to remember our partners in the gospel. So church, let's commit ourselves to prayer, to walking in wisdom, to speaking the gospel, have our speech be seasoned with salt, knowing how we're to answer others, speaking clearly. We should know what God's word says so that we can speak clearly. It's difficult to to share the gospel if you don't understand what the gospel is. Know the gospel. Know it well. Be invested in God's word. Help one another understand what God's word says so that you can pray for opportunities for the gospel gospel conversations to happen. And then when they do happen, when those doors do open, you can speak clearly into it and trust the Lord to provide a harvest. And then let's also partner with other Christians who are doing 
this hard and rewarding work in other places. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that the gospel did not stop in Jerusalem. We are grateful that the gospel did not stop in Rome, that the gospel did not stop in Colossae or Laodicea or Hierapolis, but the gospel has reached us. Thank you for the faithful work of your people throughout the ages so that the gospel may reach us. And now, Lord, please have the, not, have the gospel not stop with us. Help us commit ourselves to prayer, to walking in wisdom, to speaking the gospel, and help us commit ourselves to partnering with others who do this work. Be glorified in all of it. Allow us to see a harvest, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.